0: So we're, uh, we're talking about relationships, and again, this is one of those series where I wish I had an entire year, but there's so much that we want to cover in God's Word, and uh, we've allotted this amount of time, and so we're going to use what we've got. We're talking about getting relational, and we're going to talk today about one of the core features of godly relationships, and that is grace. All relationships are disrupted because of sin. Our relationship with God is is disrupted, has been disrupted because of sin, and it's only by grace that we can rightly relate to God. But once we come to that place where we are rightly relating with God, it changes how we relate to everyone and everything else. And it's crucial that we understand what this grace has done, is doing, and commands and demands that that we do. And, and that's what I hope that, that we're going to be able to see in our text today. See, people in great relationships, they're gracious. And that's why Christians are meant and should have the greatest relationships. We're going to look at a, a great act of grace that, that reminds us of God's grace toward us and serves as an example of the grace that God calls us to share and to give. Our text today is 2 Samuel chapter 9, but before you go there, go with me to 1 Samuel 18. I want to give a little background. In 2 Samuel 9, we find David a much older man. In 1 Samuel 18, we find David a young man. He's just killed Goliath. Many of us know that story. And he has now formed a friendship with Jonathan, the son of Saul. Saul was the key, was David's boss. And that was a love-hate relationship. We talked about that two weeks ago. So if you look in there in First Samuel chapter 18, verse 3, you see the formation of this friendship. There's a covenant there, and and by the work of God, uh, this young man Jonathan now sides with David, and there is a covenant bond there there between these two men that basically says, "I'm for you, you're for me. This is going to stand always." And that bond was tested. So go over a couple of chapters to 1 Samuel chapter 20. And in 1 Samuel chapter 20, we find David uh, being pursued by Jonathan's dad, Saul, who has attempted to kill him. Uh, Saul's had some kind of religious experience, and so Jonathan is assuming that everything's cool. David doesn't think so. And so he's concerned, and there has to be a, 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 a kind of a reminder, a renewal of their covenant. So if you look in verse 17 of uh, 1 Samuel 20, you see you see Jonathan making David swear. And what you see here is them establishing, reestablishing the covenant. What, what Jonathan is saying here is, I know you're the anointed one of God. I know you're the one that, that was promised through whom, the line of the Messiah would come, will come. And and he's saying to David here, be my friend. If I live, be good to me. If I die, take care of my family. Swear it. And he did. That is the backdrop of 2 Samuel 9. Turn now to 2 Samuel 9, and what we find is that what Jonathan knew to be true. That it was going to happen, happen. David is now king. The Davidic dynasty has taken over. The, 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 the dynasty of Saul, of the Benjamite, is now over. And now David has established the borders. He is a strong monarchy. He is now over uh, uh, the, the land promised. And in this moment of strength, David is now having a, a moment of reflection. He's looking back. And he's thinking about his friend Jonathan. See, his doing this was very strange. Makes no sense. This is not what ancient Near Eastern kings did. See, when one dynasty ended and another one began, the new dynasty would completely eradicate the old dynasty. And I don't just mean the old king. They would kill not only the king, but his family and all their servants. Wipe them out. Why? They didn't want anyone challenging them. And so here is David. And and he's asking this crazy question. Look at verse 1. Is there anyone that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? That is not the typical question of a monarch in the ancient Near Eastern time. This is a man who understands grace. This is a man who has experienced grace. This is a man who is giving grace, built upon a great relationship So, in this moment of retrospection, he's he's seeking to take the final step of a great life. There's three steps that adults take. The the first step is survival. The first step you take into adulthood is all of a sudden you've got to survive college, you've got to survive your new boss, you've got to survive. You just got to make it. David survived his first boss, Saul, who, by the way, tried to kill him, but he survived. Having survived, the next step that an adult seeks to make is success. After you learn to survive, you then begin to get good at what you've been called to do. And then you begin to want to be recognized and to be appreciated for what it is you have accomplished. You want success. The final step is the step that David is about to make here. It's the step of significance. It's the step that says, I want my life to be more than just about what I I did and who I am and what I got. I want my life to be about what I've given, about what has been done that matters. That's the, Those are the steps of maturity. Make sure you're making those steps. David has taking this step. And what he's asking is, who can I show kindness? Again, the word here, the Hebrew word is gesset. It. It's the word we would typically use for grace. It is more than just being nice to. It is a costly gift that is given to someone who does not deserve it. This is what God has given to us. We deserve to be lost in sin. We deserve to be lost in brokenness. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God would be completely just in saying, you made your bed, you sleep in it. You chose to be a traitor. You chose to be a liar. You chose to be whatever sin you've committed, I've committed. We deserve brokenness. Relationships broken. Hearts broken. We have a broken relationship with God since birth, and we've acted on that sin. And we deserve what we deserve is to be stuck here in this cycle of sin and brokenness. But God entered into our world. Jesus Christ, God in flesh, entered into our world and made a new covenant in his blood. Last week, as we received the cup, I said, and he took the cup, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. That's the gospel. God came and died for our sin. And His grace gives us not only forgiveness, but His righteousness. A new standing with God. God was gracious to David. And David then sought to give grace for, look again in verse 1, for Jonathan's sake. He keeps saying that. Why? Because what he is doing is based upon a covenant. What we have in grace is because of the covenant that Jesus Christ made what he fulfilled in his blood. Mephibosheth is allowed to come into David's family through adoption because of the covenant that he made with Jonathan. We are allowed to become children and family with God because of the covenant that Jesus Christ established. Last week, I I don't know if you were here, if you weren't, please get on the church app, please get on the website and listen to the sermon that Josh Howard had preached from this stage. A blubbering period baby he last He said something, and all the adoption families that are involved in this are like, Yeah, have you never heard this before? Never. He said that when they went to adopt their little girl, that the judge said to him, I asked him three questions. First question is, Can she have your name? He said, Yeah. He said, Upon your death, will she receive an inheritance from you? He said, yeah. And he said, would you provide for her and care for her life? And he said, yeah. And then he said, and by the way, guys, that's exactly what Jesus told God he'd do for us. That we would get his name Christian, christ That upon his death, we would gain an eternal inheritance through him. And that all the days of our lives, he would care for us. When we are adopted in the family of God, it is because of the covenant of grace that was provided through the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians received the blessing of the covenant between David and Jonathan. We who are saved, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone on the covenant that he established by his blood. So that's a bit of the background. Let's look at what happened with Mephibosheth. Let's now go to Second Samuel chapter nine. You're already there. I'm going to ask Warren to come and read verses nine through thirteen. Let's get to the end of the story and then make our way back and and work our way through it. So let's all stand together in honor of God's word. And he's going to read about Mephibosheth and Zebah. So if you would read that for us, Warren.
1: When the king called Saul's servant, said to him. All that belong to Saul, and all to his house, I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall sell the land for him, and shall bring in the produce, that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But much of does, your master's grandson shall always be at my table. Now Seba had fifteen sons and twenty servants, and then said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mathibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mathibosheth had a young son, his name was Micah. And all who lived in Zebah's house became known as Mathibosheth's servants. So Mathibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet.
0: The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. And the inspired word is Mathibosheth, and he nailed it. Good job, Warren. Good job. You would go ahead and be seated. Okay, so who is Mephibosheth, and what's his deal? Okay, so Mephibosheth was crippled. Why? He was not born that way. He became crippled at age five. All right, what's the backstory? 2 Samuel 4.4, don't look it up, just write it down, look at it later. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Israel and his nurse took him up and fled, and as she had fled in her haste, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. So, the day Jonathan and Saul were killed, the the house of Saul panicked. Because, again, under the ancient Near Eastern custom, the old dynasty would be wiped out. So, Mephibosheth's nurse grabs him, age five, and in her hurry, something happened to his feet, and he was crippled. So, here's Mephibosheth, and, and he... Presumed dead, or at least as a non-threat, he was in this hole-in-the-wall town, and he did not want to be found. He was lost, and no one was looking for him. See, there's something worse than being lost. The great missionary once said, "The only thing worse than being lost is to be lost and to have no one that is looking for you." statistics tell us that there are approximately 2 billion people on this planet that have never heard of Jesus Christ in the gospel. And there are many who have no one looking for them. That's why we do the gift for Christ. That's why we do global missions. That's why we are committed to being a people who sin and who are sent. Here is this broken man had no means to improve his position. He's lame in both and he's an outcast. Think about this. If he did have friends, they couldn't own him. It's too big of a danger. Because, again, under the engineer's it's not just the, it's, it's everyone connected with him. So here he is in the middle of nowhere. And, and if someone was provided for well, him, they had to do it in secret because they were terrified that if it was ever discovered that they were helping the bibliothèque, when the gets found and gets killed, they would have gotten killed too. So here he is completely isolated, and outcast in every sense of the word. And yet, he is brought to the king's table. Why? Because he was shown the kind of grace that Jesus gives and that we are to give. Understand that gracious people, those who have been touched by the love of God through faith in Jesus Christ, there's some things that we do that make our relationships great, and I want you to take note, and I want you to consider whether or not this is true of you. First is this, we pursue people. We pursue them. David said, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I could show uh, grace to, this tested favor, this kindness, for Jonathan's sake? This is, again, not the question a king would typically ask. A king would typically ask, is there anyone still left of that house that I can kill? Is there anyone who's a threat to me? That's not what he's asking. He's saying, is there anyone that I can show favor to for Jonathan's sake? And Zeba's there, and look at Zeba's response. Yeah, there's this one cat, but man, he is crippled at both feet, and and you know he's not going to make you look good. You know he's not very cool. I mean he's he, you know he's not like you can be in your army. It's not like you can stand him up in front of everybody, and, and I mean he's he's not going to help you. And by the way, he's in low to bar. You see that? see where it says that low to bar? That word. Low to bar. Low means no. Debar means pasture. He's saying he's in the place of no, pa- no life. He's literally in a city of death. Think about this. He's lost. He doesn't want to be found. He's crippled. He can't help himself. He's stuck. He's in a place of death. And Ziva's saying we don't need his kind. There are people who said that about me once. He's a punk. He's mean. He's foul-mouthed and he's dangerous. Keep him out of our church. Keep him away from my child. And the Lord saved me. And now, y'all have to tolerate me as your pastor. Grace upon grace. Let's remember what we were when Christ called us. Before we judge anyone else, let's never forget what we were. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.11, And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were given new life. You were loved. You were given grace. How many people do you know that are in Bar today? How many of your friends, how many of your enemies... How many people you know are crippled in sin, captured in death, lost, with no one looking for them, and they themselves do not want to be found? What are you going to do about it? See, gracious people, they pursue. They say... I'm coming after you because of the grace of Jesus Christ given to me. I know you don't want to be found. I know you're going to push me away. I know you don't want to hear this. I'm pursuing you because of the grace that has been shown to me. Second, gracious people protect people. I want you to think about this. Look at verse 6. Think about what this means. Think about the wording here. And Ephesians, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. Now I want you to think about what's going on. Where is he coming from? Where is he going? Okay, he's coming from Lodabar, the place of death. What is the city that David is bringing him to? Where was where was David at this time? You know the name of the city. It's not a hard question. What's the capital city of Israel? Jerusalem, Yeru City, Shalom, City of Peace. Think about what's happening. He's being taken from the place of death to the place of peace. Lodabar,
1: Deru Sheilon, city of peace. And so he
0: comes, he comes before David, and he's scared to death. Literally, probably. Mephibosheth probably thought this was a summons to be to be killed.
1: Remember the ancient Near Eastern practice. He's thinking they found me. They found me. And bringing me and my son Micah,
0: they're going to kill me. I remember when I was in the fifth grade, I was, something happened. I've, I've never been. It's one of the scariest days of my life. I'm sitting in class, and on the loudspeaker it says, Mrs. Brown, could you please send Jason Pettis to the office? And everybody in the class would. Mm-hmm. And I began to think to myself, what do they know? So I go out in the hallway and I begin to wa- walk. And while I'm walking, I'm thinking about the speech I'm about to make for something they found out that I did that I don't know about yet, but I am going to have to cover for this. So as I'm walking, I see these two other boys, and I don't know these boys, and they're good boys, and I'm thinking, I'll blame them. They've never been in trouble, they don't know what's going on. This is going to be easy. And I get to the principal's office and there's police officers there. And I'm thinking, dude, what did I do? I do not remember breaking the law this morning. This morning. So I'm panicked. We sit down, and the first thing the principal says is, boys, I want to let you know we've contacted your parents. I'm dead. I'm dead. My dad is on his way right now to kill me. I'm finished. It's been a good run, but it's done. And now I'm just thinking, I, I got nothing. I got nothing. And then the principal said, "We want to let you know. We let your parents know. Your bikes were stolen, and the police are here to get a description from you, from what you, what your bikes look like." I was never so glad to have my bike stolen in all my life. I thought I was dead. Here's Mephibosheth. He's coming from low to bar. He's crippled. He's got no way to escape.
1: He's thinking he's dead.
0: And I love the conversation here. Look at this. He says, David says, and He says, Behold, I am your servant. And there's a period there. I wonder if there should be an ellipsis. I wonder if it should be dot, dot, dot. I wonder, I kind of get the sense that David interrupted him here. See, what makes me think that, remember in Luke chapter 15 when Jesus was sharing those three parables and he tells the parable of the prodigal son? And remember the prodigal son that says, I'm going to go home, and when I get home, I've got my speech ready. I'm going to tell my dad, Dad, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I'll be your servant, I, and his dad stops and dead his tracks. doesn't let it be, John He says, Get me a go. Get me a, 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 a ring. Go get the fatted cab. Go get him a cloak. Get him the shoes. My boy is home. Interrupts the entire. I'm so sorry. I, I'll just be your servant. I get this sense that Mephibosheth is about to start in on a speech, and David stops him. And look what he says to him. Look at this.
1: Do not fear.
0: What's he saying? It's not what you think. I've not brought you here to kill you. I brought you here to give you life.
1: Don't be afraid. This is what God says to us. Yes, you, you, you deserve death, but don't be afraid. I just love you.
0: I can give you new life. Now, in a very real sense, Mephibosheth was about to die. His old life was about to end. See, to get the new life of Christ, you have to first die to your old life. You have to empty your hands. You have to empty yourself. You have to say like Paul did in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He said, I, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, we say, like what Paul said in Romans 6, why we are baptized. What we say at baptism, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism in the death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. What's he saying? What do we say when we're saved? What do we say when we're baptized? Jesus is my Savior, he is my Lord. I've been buried with Christ in baptism, I've died. I've been washed, I've been raised to walk in a new life. In order to be saved, you have to give up your old life and load a bar. And you have to come to the Savior and let Him give you His new life. And it's there that His protection is found. I used to say to my older children, I now I'll say to my youngest one, Do as I tell you, and I will protect you if you go outside of the boundaries I've provided. The school system or the judicial system will step in. And I cannot help you. The son says, I've bought you with a price, now honor me with your life. Walk in the way of Christ. There the protection is. If you sin, there will be consequences. The Lord will protect you. He's pursued you to protect you, to restore you. Look at that in verses 9-11. He was lost and was returned. Everything that was taken from him was returned to him. He's given a new standard, a new way of life. The fellowship was restored to his home under David, just as we were restored to a right relationship with God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ restored. There is a restoration of your relationship with God through Christ that enables this blessing. So now, here's I He's being restored to what had been lost because of sin and brokenness, because of the covenant with Jonathan, and there's life. Last, gracious people reconcile people. are some of the greatest sermons that have ever been preached in the world. Have been preached on verse 13
1: so Mep- Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem I'm just thinking, <laughs> below the bar
0: Yah, Jerusalem, steady peace for he always ate at the king's table now look at this you might want to circle it now he was lying in both of his feet he still was going to struggle his challenge was still there but now he would face it with the blessing of the King and all his resources. You and I, having come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, will still have the same challenge, the same struggle sin. Still at work in your flesh, still at work in the world. But now you have the resources of the King of heaven at your disposal to be free from that which would hold you down. He ate at the king's table. He ate there because someone went looking for him. Who do you know that you need to go looking for Having been given grace, David said, I've got to give. I've got to give to those who need restoration. That's our job. Paul said it this way to the Corinthians, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ we be reconciled to God. Who do you know that is crippled with sin, lost in death, and does not want to be found? Are you praying for them daily? Does your heart break for them? Are you willing to go to them and share the gospel a thousand times if necessary? Are you willing to do the hard work of taking it from low to bar?
1: To Yerushalayim. But the understood grace. Do we?
0: I want you to think about what it must have been like to be at the king's table every day. Look at that last part. And he ate at the king's table. Chuck Swindoll, he described it like this. He said, imagine a typical scene several years later. The dinner bell rings through the king's palace, and David comes to the head of the table and sits down. In a few moments, Amnon, clever, crafty, Amnon, sits to the left of David. Lovely and gracious, Tamar, a charming and beautiful young woman, arrives and sits beside Amnon. And then across the way, Solomon walks slowly from his study, precocious, brilliant, preoccupied. Solomon, the heir apparent, slowly sits down, and then adds a Handsome, whimsome, have fun, with beautiful flowing hair, black as the raven, down to his shoulders, sits down. That particular evening, Joab, the courageous warrior, David's commander of the troop, has been invited to dinner. Muscular bronze Joab, is seated near the king. Afterward, they wait. They hear the shuffling of feet, the clump, clump, clump of the crutches, as Mephibosheth rather awkwardly finds his place at the table and slips into to his seat and the tablecloth covers his feet. Where are you living today? I, I think Mephibosheth would quickly identify with the words from the hymn by John Newton. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. This grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Do you need that grace today? Come from Lodabar to the city of peace. Do you know someone who needs that grace today? Come get on your knees and pray for them. Has your heart grown cold to the lostness? Have you seen so many lost people say, I don't care, I don't want to be found, that you've come to the place where you say, well, fine, I'll just leave you there. Does your heart need to be broken again for the lost? Come and ask God to break your heart stand together. Father, would you right now call some to receive this amazing grace and get a new life? Would you hear the prayers of some who come and ask that you would save a friend, an enemy, a loved one who is in death and crippled in sin? Would you hear the prayer of some who would say, God, change my heart. It's become too hard. Come and pray as we sing of grace.